You're listening to Full Blown Coverage, just another football podcast no one asked for. Or as Ken would put it, I forgot. How do I put it? <laughs> uh, the, the show no one is raving about. Oh, the show no one is raving about yet. There you go. We've got a lot to cover in this week's episode, including highlights from a Sunday for the history books, a segment dedicated to Kenny Loggins, a special interview with actors Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips of Friday Night Lights fame, ribbing Ken for his disastrous parlay picks. But first... The content of this podcast is not intended to be a word of gambling. Instead, the information we present is meant for nothing more than informational and entertainment purposes. Full-blown coverage and its affiliates are not liable for any losses that are incurred or problems that arise from consideration of this podcast content. If you are gambling utilizing information from this podcast, you are doing so completely and totally at your own risk. But if you feel that you may have a gambling problem or addiction, there are many outlets by which you can seek help. If you do not know what responsible gambling is, this especially means you. We'll start with the final moments of the first half of Arizona at Jacksonville, when Matt Prater attempted what would be the longest field goal in history at 68 yards. The kick did result in an NFL record, but not the one you might be expecting. Got it up! And short! Agnew! Brings it out of the end zone! Agnew! That's the sound of Gus Johnson's brain exploding after Jaguars return specialist Jamal Agnew took the missed kick 109 yards into the opposite end zone, tying the record for longest touchdown ever. However, we still saw the longest field goal in NFL history after Baltimore's Justin Tucker converted a 66-yard game-winning field goal against the Lions, which bounced off the crossbar before tumbling past the post, breaking Matt Prater's previous record of 64 yards in 2013. 10. You spent the early games at a children's t-ball game. What records did you see set? Well, it was a softball game. and I'm sorry, is there a difference? The schedule, well, the schedule makers did not take into account that most of the fathers would, be, would prefer to be home watching TV. Uh, but it was kid pitch, and there was about 8,000 pitches in a three-inning, 90-minute time limit game. I think two were called strikes. So um, I couldn't see the rest of those games because I had to watch my da- my daughter's team play. But I just, I thought of this idea on Sunday. How great would it be if the Red Zone channel had Gus Johnson sitting in a studio and he called the last two minutes of games? That would be amazing. He's awesome. I love it. Love him. I, to one-up your idea, so I was sitting there on Sunday. I love all sports. I'm not, like, just a football fan. We had recently just got into F1. The, the Mariners are in a playoff race for the first time in 20 years. We had the Ryder Cup. The U.S. took home the Ryder Cup for the first time in a, in a decade. And NFL football. I want to go to someone like... A, YouTube TV to create a all sports red zone. Yes. And Gus Johnson would be the perfect person to host, but I want it all. Yes. And 
and like I, I was thinking about the the problems with it would be like okay these guys can't get the rights to f1 and mlb and nfl but if it was someone like youtube tv who had all of those that like you literally youtube figures out this algorithm where you're changing the channel so it's actually flipping the channels between the two seamlessly because when you streaming now and all this stuff there's just you just sign up for whatever youtube's going to give you you put gus johnson on the mic and we get every sport as it's happening in real time during okay we're going to see this clutch putt by dustin johnson and then we're going to go straight to this justin tucker field goal and then we're going to go to this home run by john carlos stanton over the red sox like give give me all of them just Saturdays and Sundays when there's a lot of shit going on. Yeah. And then this collision at the Grand Prix. I Sunday, by the way, I mean, I, I completely second this uh, proposition you've put forth. But Sunday was a beautiful day for me. Got to start with F1, which, as you both know, I've become a diehard fan of. Move into Sunday football. And then we also had the Seattle Kraken play their debut game granted it was preseason which i gambled on and i won i thought i lost because i took the crack and minus one and a half and as soon as the canucks went up two goals the little bit that i knew about hockey is that what they're called right i would call them the canucks but the canucks is way better They went up by two by by two goals is two to nothing. And I was like, well, this bet is over. So I switched back to Sunday night football. And then like, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours later, our buddy Jake texted me and he's like, you won the bet. They won five to three. It was incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mark texted me after like, so Seattle's never had an NHL team. They're one period in. Mark has bet on the Canucks, or excuse me, on the Kraken. He texts me, I'm never watching hockey again. (laughs) (laughs) But they won. But seriously, though, seriously, though, is there a better kicker in the history of the NFL than Justin Tucker? You know, it was so appropriate, too, because didn't he miss the field goal right before the 66 yarder? Yeah. I believe so. And so everybody, I, I can't remember how many yards the one was previous, but, you know, of course, we all sort of think of him as the word nobody likes to say. <laughs> but the fact that it hit the crossbar, yeah. the crossbar, and then tumbled through the post, because when it hit the crossbar, I thought it missed. Because I could, you know how you, I, you could never tell from the camera angle, like there's no depth perception for me. So I'm like, oh my God, he fucking missed it. And then, you know, ref's hands come up. I'm like, unbelievable. If you're the Lions, you have to be aware that Justin Tucker's on the other team. It was fourth and 18, the play before that. And they played this prevent defense. And it was like the easiest pass and catch, 36 yard. Like, you just have to know that field goal range is at whatever, your own 45 if Justin Tucker's on the other team. Like, right. I don't know. I have a thing against prevent defenses in a situation. They like prevent that. you from winning. Yeah. But, um, but think about it though. I mean, he he so as we know, Drew, he he was he kicked at Texas. He's from Austin, Westlake High School. 
He made the kick that beat A&M in the last A&M Texas game. But that's the second time he's kicked a game-winning 60-yard field goal against the Lions in Detroit. So in 2013, he kicked a 61-yarder to win a Monday night game. That's amazing. Outside of Vinatieri in the snow, he probably has the two best other kicks in the history of the uh, history of the league. Has to. Well, except for maybe Prater's previous longest field goal of 64 yards, which I thought was amazing that we had Prater attempt the longest one at 68 earlier yeah. in the morning, and then Tucker got his chances only two yards less. He actually makes it. Yeah, You know, Prater's Agnew returned for that 109-yard touchdown, which tied the record for longest touchdown ever. I'm not sure which is more impressive, frankly. I mean, they they were amazing. I It it was an amazing morning of football to watch. It was. It really was. It was also one of those weird weeks, too, where I think – I mean, I was, like, calculating the turnovers – you know, because obviously I'm watching it for fantasy purposes. Seahawks aren't playing yet. There were like 16, 17 turnovers yeah. in the morning games. Yeah, they, they happen quick, man. It was an amazing day until someone decided to schedule an eight-year-old softball game at 3 o'clock. Yeah, that seems, that seems like a, a recurring story of a lot of my friends that are parents. Yeah, yeah. The NFL owns a day of the week. Give us a break. You know that going in. You know it going in. But you do what you have to do for your children. So we toughed it out. Well, the Chargers may have slayed the Chiefs on Sunday, but Brandon Staley's endgame management left most of us scratching our heads. Facing fourth and four with under a minute to go on the Chiefs' 30-yard line, Staley kept the field goal unit on the sidelines and sent Justin Herbert and company back onto the field, only to have rookie tackle Rashawn Slater jump off sides, making it fourth and nine on the Chiefs' 35-yard line. Once again, Staley redeployed the offense and Herbert's pass fell incomplete, but not without a flag thrown for interference, rewarding the Chargers with a fresh set of downs on the Chiefs' 20-yard line and leaving Kansas City with only one timeout. But Staley didn't take his foot off the gas. He shouldn't score here. Pass to the end zone, and it's a touchdown. He beats Hughes again. Um, Great throw, great job, but why? Yeah. Drew is unflinching faith in the patron saint of fourth and anything, the NFL's newest form of offense. First of all, before I get into that, the Chargers white unis against the Chiefs reds looked nice. Like, incredible matchup in terms of the uniforms. But in terms of that, I kind of think we need to just erase like what we've been learning about football for our whole lives because uh, it just works differently. Like you saw in the Packers game, what Aaron Rodgers got like 37 seconds, I think. And they lost And the 49ers gave him too much time. Like just feel like we need to reprogram our brains to think. And um, when I was watching the chargers game, I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, but it's kind of smart. Like you're playing the chiefs. Like you need to, he, he knew he's like, we need to score a touchdown. His options were at, at that fourth and nine, he could have tried to kick a 52 yard field goal with crosswinds, um, which he mentioned, you make it, you're up three and Pat Mahomes has the ball with a minute left and timeout. 
you miss it, which is very possible, then Pat Mahomes now just needs 25 yards and they're in field goal range. So um, I'll be honest, I thought it was kind of dumb when he was watching it. And so did Tony Romo, by the way. Like Tony Romo was not on board with that. He wasn't on board with them scoring a touchdown right away. But he kind of – they kind of just said, F it. We're going to score a touchdown. That's the only way to beat the Chiefs and get on them. And and by the way, the Chargers have now won two games that they have historically lost. Right. Might be a different Chargers team this well, year. Well, I mean, good for them. I, I and I And I like the Chargers. I think they look great. But where I draw the line, I think, <laughs> you, get, you get through the first two parts of this. How do you not take the field goal on the 20-yard line? Well, he missed the extra point, so it maybe it was the right call. He was rewarded for it. Uh, you know, I, I give Staley the credit for having the balls do it. Um, but I do think, to your point, uh, I have never in the last two years of watching football seen so many teams go for it on fourth down. Oh, yeah. There, there seems to be a complete shift in thinking now where in, unless you're really backed up, you're doing it. And you know what? It kind of seems like it works. Well, a lot of football now is data-driven. And like Drew said, everything that we thought we learned about football and how the game's supposed to go is changing right in front of our eyes, ever-evolving. You got them on the ropes. You kind of have to go for the kill. And that's what they did. Good for them. Worked out. Set the tone for the rest of the season. Well, Tom Brady returns to New England for Sunday Night Football in Week 4, where he'll face his former team and coach for the first time since leaving. To build on the highly anticipated matchup, NBC released a promo for the game featuring Adele's Hello under a barrage of emotional imagery, which surely caused flooding in the greater Boston area. Ken, could there be a more perfect song to underscore a reunion of the evil empire? Oh. <laughs> Ken loves Adele. No, that was a good promo, man. Think about think about what we're going to watch, right? I had the pleasure of being there for Brett Favre's first game against the Packers, and that was a big deal, man. I mean, like people I I knew that didn't even watch football were like texting me before the game and sending me emails, texts, whatever, saying, "Hey, have a good game tonight," and I was like, "Shit." <laughs> There's a lot of people watching. This game blows that one away by far, by far. I mean, with all they went through together for so long, and games not started by Tom Brady, Bill Belichick is 53 and 59. Uh-oh. 1994. <laughs> what are you laughing at already? Already. 1994. That includes that includes his tenure with the Browns. And he did win a wild card game against Parcells and the Patriots in 1994. And the framework was there for them to keep getting better. Um, but if you've ever watched a football life on the 1995 Cleveland Browns, them moving to Baltimore, like really just took the wind out of their sails completely. You know, this whole question, a lot of it of who needed who more, I mean, I think they both needed themselves more, but I, I almost feel like there's a little bit of, um, I don't know how to put it, but people are almost um, implying that Belichick's not that great of a coach 
because of the 53 and 59 without Tom. That's, I think that's ridiculous. All great coaches have great quarterbacks. I mean, there's still a lot of other work that needed to be done. He had to mold that guy and see him through, right? And he knew he had the right guy. He had to make that decision. You know, I, I still think he's a great coach. He still won all those games. I mean, you know, Dungy and Peyton Manning were together for a while. They only won one. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's a bad comparison, but. If Nicholas Sparks had to write the love story between Belichick and Tom Brady, what would it be called? I don't know who Nicholas Sparks is. The Notebook? No, I I don't watch the no the Notebook. You never seen the Notebook? It would be Hey, it would I've be called never the Playbook. Seen the Notebook. <laughs> It'd be called the Playbook. Drew is right. It would be called the Playbook. All right, there you go. Good hey. one. Hey. Thanks for getting I, my back on that one. I think we can all agree on one thing. Whoever loses this game on Sunday is a complete fraud. Entire <laughs> career out the window. I also agree with you, Drew. In fact, in my opinion, this game benefits from a hype man more than a half-pack rap venue because of the fact that it's doomed to be a slaughterhouse rather than some kind of competitive grudge match. In fact, if we weren't covering this topic in the roundup, it would be my overreaction this week. For what was supposed to be a top five offensive line, New England has allowed Mac Jones to be sacked eight times already. And to make matters worse, Tampa Bay's front four on defense is very strong, allowing only 63.8 yards per game so far. With James White likely out this weekend, the Pats have no other trustworthy back that can pick up blitzes or catch passes on key third downs. It's going to be tough for Mac to manage the game on his back. The hoodie will be humbled. And Pats fans are about to discover why the rest of the league hates Tom Brady. Yeah. And that's why Rob Dugan's Club to Death would have been a more appropriate promo song for Sunday <laughs> night. This isn't going to be a close game, guys. No. We can hype it up as much as we want to. It's the not. The Bucs are going to kick the shit. Yes, they are. Out of they the are. Patriots. It's going to be disgusting. Yeah. End of story. Period. Yeah. Point, exclamation part. Yeah, let's move on to Danger Zone because there's really nothing else that we can say. Discussing overreactions and underreactions so much last week that we've decided to make it a regular segment in what we're calling the danger zone. Drew, the production notes appear to indicate that you and Ken actually agree on something this week. What's got the two of you coming together like chips and queso? Uh, speaking of chips and queso, Ken and I agree on a lot of things food related. Yes, we do. We do. Number one being that smoked turkey is the best thing you should order at a barbecue restaurant. All day, every day. And number two being <laughs> the AFC West has some possible uh, imposters. Yep. Maybe the, maybe the Broncos are going to be good. Maybe. Uh, but they've played the Giants, Jags, and Jets, who are a combined 0 and 9, and also have – two rookie quarterbacks 
So let's just pump the brakes on the Broncos being the best defensive team of all time. I think they're good. Vic Fangio is awesome. We all know that. He's been around for a long time. He's a very good defensive coach who is made to look even better when he's playing rookies. Uh, So I'm just not really sold, like I said last week, on Teddy Two Gloves and this Broncos team that's awesome. Maybe they'll be good. Maybe they'll sneak in to the playoffs and lose in the first round, but like, Three and zero. Could you ske- Could you schedule three better teams to play than the Giants, Jags, and Jets? Like, we could. One of the front runners, the Chiefs, or who we thought were front runners, the Chiefs, the Steelers, the Seahawks. All these underwhelming teams. If they had played those three teams, they'd be in like top three of the power rankings right now. So I'm not sold on the Broncos. Sure, but then how do you how do you defend the Raiders? They beat the Ravens and the Steelers. Then the Dolphins, granted, maybe oh, the Dolphins aren't as great. Uh, that's that's Ken's point. My my only point was the Broncos. Ken and I only agreed on the division. He can he can take on. Hey, I, <laughs> hey, I guess I said it last week. I will say it until they clinch a playoff berth. I will not buy the Las Vegas Raiders this season or any season until they get to the playoffs because they've done this before. Right? Yeah. Didn't they start? They they've done it before. They what were they six and two last year? Or the year before that, they finished eight and eight, seven and nine. Right? So until I see them push all the way through to a playoff berth, no. I think the whole division, everyone's overreacting to the whole division. Right? The Chiefs are one and two, and it's like, oh, the Chiefs are in last place. Okay, yes, technically they are, but I mean, Chiefs are probably going to win the division. It's week three. We have more time this year. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with you, but in the same way that I'm having a panic button response to what's going on with the Seahawks, at some point I, I got to wonder why you know the Chiefs are supposed to be the Chiefs. They're supposed to win those games. Well, hey, they're supposed to win those games. You know what? They didn't, so they got time to fix things, right? I will. I will agree with you there. We've this is the longest season the NFL ever has, mm-hmm. which is why, in general, you know, mo- most of the things we're reacting to, we're probably overreacting to. Yeah, I will tell you. I think the reaction to what's happening with the Seahawks is appropriate. I think the reaction to what's happening to the Steelers is appropriate, and frankly, I think it's kind of an appropriate reaction of the Chiefs. It's weird that they're one and two. They're at the bottom of their division. They have they have two they have two teams above them that are three and fucking oh. And I actually I, I think the Chiefs and the Chargers is better than the Broncos and the Raiders, but you know what? We might be proven wrong. I just had uh, one other thing to say is um <clears throat> my theory on barbecue restaurants is the brisket will be just fine without me. Let somebody else pay thirty dollars a pound for that. Exactly. Exactly. You have it. Um but I will say this about Teddy Bridgewater. He is doing exactly what the Broncos brought him in there to do. And like, oh yeah, they beat the Giants, the Giants, Jags, and Jets, right? Yes, but they're supposed to win those games. And he's played very mistake-free football. He completes his passes. He knows how to run an offense. He knows how to read a defense. He's doing exactly what they brought him there to do. Don't fuck it up, Right. So from that perspective, they're supposed to win those games. They did. He played a role in it. So you know what? I think we're overreacting. Let's see. There's a long season. But, I mean, I think 
you know, maybe the Broncos found a way to do it until they get their guy. You know what? They might be an iteration of an earlier Steelers franchise where mm-hmm. defense defense takes them all the way. You know, maybe the that Seahawks happens. too. Seahawks yeah. too. Yeah. I'll tell you what my overreaction is. It's rookie fucking quarterbacks. Keyword rookie. The five of these guys that actually matter were drafted in the first round. They went to teams that are rebuilding around them. No one really expected the Jags or the Jets to be contenders this season. The Bears and the Pats, they still have holes to fill. 49ers already have a starting quarterback, Jimmy G. There may have been a handful of quarterbacks that performed at a high level from day one under center in the NFL. Obviously, Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson. But for the most part, that's the exception. It isn't the rule. The real test to me will be whether or not any of these rookie quarterbacks can grow as the season continues. And most of them have nowhere to go but up, really. Mm -hmm. With the longest season the NFL has ever seen, they each still have 13 games to improve. Jury's still out on these guys. You can freak out about it. Jury's still out. And by the way, I got to give a special shout out. Matt Nagy, if he knew what was good for him, or the Bears franchise, he'll let Fields take another shot on Sunday against the Lions, provided his hand is healthy, and ask his offensive line why Fields was sacked nine times in one game. People freaking out about him not being the answer. You guys don't have an offensive line. It's Swiss cheese. That's a problem. Hey, I will tell you this, though. Yeah, Swiss cheese is disgusting, by the way. Yeah, I'm with you oh, on yes. that. Can we yeah. also talk about the fact that Swiss cheese is the worst cheese? <laughs> it's by Who far the worst cheese. Who likes ah. Swiss cheese? I know, Swiss people from Switzerland, I think. Well, here's the, <laughs> hot pastrami is one of my favorite sandwiches in the world. When people put Swiss cheese in it, I'm like, fuck you, it's provolone mm. or nothing. Hey, we, fu- we finally agree on something. Swiss cheese is disgusting. Oh, my God. It's so fucking bad. And why does it immediately, like, if you buy Swiss cheese, it is the one cheese, like, as soon as you unpackage it, you you know, maybe you get a slice or two, you put it in the fridge, and then immediately the next day, that shit is fucking, like, you know, just rottoed out, just stale-ass fucking corner cheese. I mean, one day. Like I wouldn't know. Hours. I wouldn't know. I don't. I don't go to the store and buy things I don't want to eat. No. The other thing is, is like, would you buy a steak with like sixteen holes in it? <laughs> yeah. Good point. Whole steak. Yeah. Who wants cheese with holes? I want more <laughs> cheese, not less cheese. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. oxygen tastes a lot worse than the, the rest <laughs> of the cheese. I mean, yeah. You got to be an American psycho to like Swiss cheese. Or, or from Switzerland. Um, yeah, Switzerland. Hey, uh, hey, hey, easy comparison here. Last two first overall picks, right? Mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence. Just f- for the hell of it, I just wanted to see, right? Six interceptions in three games. Yeah, it's yucky. Six interceptions in three games. Joe Burrow. Five interceptions in ten games last year. He has four this year, so he has nine in his first 13 games. Trevor Lawrence has two-thirds of that in, what, a fourth? It's true. Right? 
Um, but, but there, there are now three quarterbacks in the history of the NFL who have thrown two or more interceptions in their first three starts. Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson. Peyton Manning. Troy Aikman. So now most podcasters or radio people would say not bad company to be in, but I will refrain from saying that as such cliches are exactly what FPC frowns upon the most. (laughs) I'm sorry, Ken, are you underreacting to my overreaction? I don't know. I just wanted to throw those numbers out there. I saved them for at some point in the show. I may need them, but since we were talking about it, I want to throw it out there. And yes, we are overreacting because it's the first few games. It's hard. Did you guys see Alex Smith last night on Monday countdown? He was like, I was not ready to play at all. He's like, I didn't even want to. And he's like, I was a mess. He had five offensive coordinators his first five seasons. He was like adamant that these guys do not play, you know, in rare cases, like Trevor Lawrence should be playing. Right. I have one, I have one pushback on that. Everybody talks about how, how much easier it is to be a quarterback. Now you can't get hit. The DBs can't touch the wide receiver. Like, should that not apply to court rookie quarterbacks? Are we just not going to take that into account? Like you mentioned what Troy Aikman and Peyton Manning, they played in a different era. That was a lot harder to be a quarterback than it is now, but we're just going to give them the, the same benefit of the doubt, even though players like Kirk Cousins can throw for 4,000 yards and 35 touchdowns, and we don't even consider them elite? Well, my underreaction this week is that the media doesn't talk enough about how Raiders wide receiver Brian Edwards is finally finding his stride. And it's as a big playmaker in clutch moments when they need it the most. If you listen to Gruden, everyone on Las Vegas' current roster reminds them of a Hall of Famer, which makes it easy to dismiss it as prejudice of coach. But he might not be wrong when he says Brian Edwards reminds him of the makings of Terrell Owens. Although Edwards has was quiet in the first four quarters against the Dolphins in week three, he showed up big in overtime with a pair of 30-plus yard catches one that set the Raiders up to take the lead with the field goal, and the other, a stunning catch double coverage that would ensure them the win. This is almost exactly what happened when they played the Ravens as well. Two catches on a field goal drive to send the game to overtime, then two more catchers on the Raiders' first drive of overtime. He'll need to show up in the other 59 minutes, obviously, of the game to solidify an actual comparison to T.O., but with the Raiders rolling, I actually won't be surprised if Edwards matures into an elite wide receiver by next season. Yeah. They, and you know what? They, they were high on that guy coming into the season and credit to them for coaching him up. Yeah. He looks good when it matters. They knew what they had. Yeah. Good for them. Drew, what's your underreaction? My underreaction is we're only three weeks into the season. Why was Derrick Henry not? at the top of everyone's fantasy football list. Like talk about what do you, what do you, what do you want? Depend dependability. The dude rushed for 2000 yards last year, which has not been done very many times Um, in his last two seasons, plus three games, he's rushed for 4,000 yards last season. He had 10, hundred rushing yards games and three, 200 rushing yard games. 
just feels like an overthink to like, okay, we're going to take Dalvin cook. Who's always, always gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to take Kamara. We're going to take Kamara over him who like, you know, had obviously a great couple seasons under Drew Brees. And I still think Kamara is a very good player, but like, why not take the guy that might get the ball 35 times a game and always gets goal line carries. And now we're three, we're three games into the season. Uh, he's rushed for over a hundred yards in two of the three games, almost 200 yards in one of the games and gets better as the season goes. Like sometimes I think people just overthink everything. I totally agree with you. I was taking him with the first pick if I got it and they picked the, our slots like an hour before the draft. Uh, can't can't tackle him. They can't catch him. He's awesome. And they're and they're, and they're committed to him and they have no yes. like they have no secondary weapon or anything. Like like worst case scenario, he's getting 70 yards and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. I think the Kamara thing is and again, I think Kamara's a great back, but I think it's easily explained away by like you know, what did he have two ridiculous games last season where like one, he had like five touchdowns or, 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 you know, four or something. And, you know, you have a couple of those games, all of a sudden people are like, wow, picking him no matter what, where the reality is Henry's actually the better pick. And their, their, their overtime offense is let's give the ball to Derek and have him go for a 50 yard run to win it. Right. Right. That's their overtime offense. It, as a Seahawks fan, it kind of reminds me of like Sean Alexander, where he doesn't actually look that cool when he's right. running the ball, but he's just he's rushing for over a hundred yards and touchdowns every week. So it's like maybe we should take our eyes out of this for once and just like look at what's actually happening. And he's getting the ball a lot and he's running people over. So maybe yeah. just take him. Breakaway speed too. All right, Ken, what do you got on underreactions? Buffalo Bills, baby. Yeah. Buffalo Bills. I mean, it's their defense, man. Their defense. So they have three interceptions in three games. Their opponents are one for six on fourth down, which everyone goes for it on fourth down now. 34% on third down, nine sacks. Their leading sack artist is their first-round pick, Gregory Rousseau from Miami, who dropped, if you guys remember, he dropped in the draft the last few days, the last week leading into it, right? So that just tells you how good their coaching is, right? Because obviously, you know, we can talk about Josh Allen all day, and they coached him up too, and he's as good as Patrick Mahomes, you, you can make that case. It's almost like sacrilegious to say Josh Allen's is good or better than Mahomes. He might be better than Mahomes. You know what, okay. Ken? Nobody wants to admit it. That guy to me looks like the yeah. best quarterback in the he NFL is. right now. I agree. I agree. He's got a cannon. He could run. He's like leads. He has like the most rushing touchdowns in the last like two seasons. Um, but the reason, I, the reason I bring this up is now that our defense has improved, and we just talked about the AFC West, and there—that's a little, you know. You would have said before the season, road to the Super Bowl goes through Kansas City. Um, I think the road to the Super Bowl is going to go through Buffalo this year. And God have mercy on your soul playing in that cold weather if you're not used to it in January. Jan- well, is it February now? Well, whatever. January. It's going to be cold. Their fans are nuts. They had a ha- There was a time 
that they had to stop scheduling primetime games in Buffalo because of the fights, arrests, and fires. <laughs> so they like had to stop, right? They're crazy. But with that defense now, I think they're the best team in the AFC. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. Getting to it is our pleasure to welcome actors Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips to the podcast, beloved by many as Mindy Collette Riggins and Billy Riggins on the hit series Friday Night Lights in addition to the numerous other roles each have played and who have launched their FNL rewatch podcast this week for Cadence 13 entitled Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, A Friday Night Lights Rewatch. Stacy, Derek, thanks so much for joining us. Dude, thank you so much for having us on the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, given how popular Friday, Night's, Friday Night Lights was, it's no surprise you're returning to the fictional town of Dillon, Texas. But tell us about how this new journey started and where it's going. October 3rd will be our actual 15-year anniversary of um, when the pilot dropped. Derek and I were, I guess, like offered this podcast or the idea came up to us from producers a long time ago. It's been months and months of deciding if if we wanted to and what was going to happen. And then talks and stuff. And I think the timing just ended up perfectly that we, we launched right around the same time as our anniversary and people, and, and like now it's back on Netflix too. So people can right. watch along and come back with us. That'll be fun. And the world came to a standstill. The world came to a standstill because of COVID-19. So this was a perfect time. To yeah, thanks. Thanks COVID. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It, it, uh, it kind of reminds me because of course, and I know Stacy, you listen to this too, but like the West wing rewatch podcast, was fucking rad so i'm super excited to see what you guys are doing with this well we we hope we'll be as almost as successful as west wing weekly i mean they started they started rewatch podcasts and now there's like probably eight that are done by actual cast members of the show but yeah josh and rishi they like started the whole thing yeah high pioneers like I listened to a couple of different rewatches myself. I listened to, to West Wing and I listened to uh, Sopranos. Um, and I was like, well, why don't we do this? <laughs> yeah. Why is there not a Friday Night Lights podcast with cast? You know? Yeah. Um, and so it was, it, it, it all kind of fell into our laps. Uh, we have a buddy named Steve Walters who uh, works in, in the podcast industry and kind of knows a lot more about it than we do. So that definitely helped because this is our first foray into this. So we're, we're learning as we go, but uh, he's kind of navigated the process for us. Yeah. So are we, we're, we're in our <laughs> second season, but we're, we still feel like oh, you guys are old pros at this point. Yeah. That's what we're told. <laughs> still, it still seems like it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's funny. You said your podcast, your podcast took off in the pandemic or has actually regressed. Oh, did it? There you go. <laughs> to be fair, I did not know how much work podcasts were. Oh, I mean, I'll tell you because I, you know, kind of write the game script for us and and do some of the prep work and then physically edit the podcast too. When Dan asked us to do this, you know, I was thinking in my mind, I was like, yeah, it's like it'll take like I don't know an hour or two to record it yeah. once a week, and then yeah. you know it'll take me like maybe a couple hours to edit. Turns out it's like editing a music video or something. It takes me like eight hours, you know, in one day to do it. It's, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. It's great for me. I just have a yeah. couple of Tito's and talk about football. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Drew and Ken really make out on this podcast. <laughs> not literally. Well, see, Stacy and I kind of lucked out because we're not having to edit our podcast. So that's been a huge uh, help for the two of us, because I think between these two actors trying to edit, uh, we'd be it would take us like four months to get one out. Well, as you guys know, I mean, I edit professionally, normally video. What I don't edit professionally and which has been a real learning experience is audio. Turns out. That's its own job entirely, which is why you pay these people all this money to do those things. But Mark, guess who knows how to do it now? You. That's true. (laughs) I do know how to do it now. And I have to tell you, it has been a... uh, a pretty remarkable journey on YouTube, learning how to do oh all of these things. But I do have to give, I have to give a shout out to YouTube because it's amazing the tutorials that are on there now. Like you could teach yourself to do anything. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. Dude, I, I built a gym in the middle of my pandemic, you know, because, you know, the gym shut down and I was like, I got to work out, man. So I built a gym in my garage and I'm sitting there in my garage building this thing. I'm hanging drywall. I've never hung drywall before. I'm, ha- I'm learning how to hang drywall watching Google videos. Yeah. I learn everything doing Google. God, Derek, Derek, we get it. You work out. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jacked. Don't worry about it. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't have you hanging drywall in Friday Night Lights. That seemed like uh a job you might've taken on actually. Oh, that's definitely, actually, I think we did have an episode where Billy was uh, doing some construction and he shot himself in the, in the finger with a nail gun. <laughs> so that's kind of par for the course for that jackass. Sounds about right. Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of actors elect not to watch their own work. So when the show originally aired, did you guys actually watch it? Or are you seeing these episodes now with fresh eyes for the first time? Mark, I'm going to go ahead and I, I'm going to I'm going to jump in here real quick. This has been a point of contention here for Stacy and I for the past month as we've been working on this podcast because Stacy's never seen the show. And so I'm like, <laughs> we're doing a podcast, but you've never seen the show. What the hell are we going to do a podcast of if you've never seen it? So anyway, uh, so but- is Stacy having to watch episodes before you record? Yes. No, and then you're talking about it. Right? Yes. In theory, yeah. I think she's watching the episodes. I hope she's watching the episodes. Otherwise, we I really am. don't. Okay. So, Stacey, how does it feel to watch it for the first time then? That's the thing about it. I was just too close to it when it was on. I can't, I can't like parse out like that's my friend on screen and it's all too weird. And I hate I don't watch stuff that I'm in anyway. So right. I just never did. And now it's been 15 years. So enough time has passed that I'm watching it with these fresh eyes of a person who probably watched it when it came on NBC and you guys. The show is so fucking good. It is great. It's a great it's fucking show. So Welcome good. to the party, Stacy. Welcome <laughs> to the party. Uh, but I think that's part of the fun is like Derek, Derek does know it and I didn't. So everything's kind of new for me. Yeah. He's part of the fun. One of the crazy things is I hadn't seen the show in 12 years, you know? So watching it again, it, it, it is almost like watching it for the first time because you forget things. Uh, I forget entire scenes, not anything that I was in, but I forget scenes that other people were in and i don't mean that in like a negative way i just you weren't there so you don't know uh but it is it's a lot of emotions there's the emotions of watching it and going wow i was a lot younger uh that in and of itself is always difficult as we age you know and then the other thing is just watching it and remembering what an like literally amazing time that was in my life for both Stacy and I and everyone in that cast. I mean, every guest that we've had on the show thus far 
talks about that, how, you know, what an amazing time it was. Yeah. So, you know, while all of us are very happy and content with where we are in our lives right now, there's still that part of you that, that misses that, that youth and that, you know, that energy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I feel that way, you know, rewatching some of my movies where you have the nostalgia of, I mean, perfect, you know, case and example would be both the movies I've done with you, like Point Defiance or Water Lily, mm-hmm. when thinking about making those movies and how special it was, because a film crew is like this little temporary family that you have. Yeah. And when you're on a show, you guys are doing it for so much longer, yeah. you know, than just 30, 40, 45 days for a movie or something. You guys are together for years. Yeah. yeah. So five, five years and in a city that none of us lived in, like none of us lived in Austin. So for a while we only had each other. It's like, it's instant family. And we actually yeah. really did like each other. That's the amazing part. That's yeah. great. I was just going to ask where you guys all stayed when you were in Austin. To be honest with you, it changed year by year. Uh, I had an apartment on uh, East Cesar Chavez, uh, like right in downtown um, one season. Then like another season, I had a, a place on South Lamar that was uh, just a little bit outside of town. Um, oh, right by the Broken Spoke. Yeah, literally right uh, by the Broken, broken Spoke. spoke. Oh, I used to live across the street from the Broken Spoke on West yeah. Rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. See, I can't remember all the streets, but if you tell me a bar, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, remember yeah, yeah. Broken that's Spoke. Why I brought up, that's why I brought up Broken Spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love hotels and I always opted to stay at yeah. the, uh, the, they put me up at the Omni downtown on 8. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. I love- you got to see- I love it. You get it. to see the bats. You got to see the bats fly the out. Bats. The bats. And also, and do you know the big motorcycle rally that happens every year in Austin? Oh, yeah. of course. You can't. They you all can't stay. They all stay at that hotel. So if I, it would always be like, I had like a 4 a.m. call time the next day and they're revving their engines. And I was like, oh my God, stop. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And I stayed at the Hyatt uh, downtown for two years as well. But, you know, a lot of different hotels because there were some episodes you come in for like episode two and then you're not back till episode four. And then in episode four, they put you in a different hotel. So, I mean, literally, I think I wound up staying in probably eight or nine different hotels in Austin overall. Uh, but mostly at the Hyatt, that was kind of my, uh, my, my hotel choice if, if it was available. Yeah, they're still partying. They're still partying yeah. on the streets. So when the show originated, were were some of the cast members already living in Texas? I, I know it was filmed primarily around Austin, but like, how did you two come to be cast? So I had lived in New York for six years, and then I moved out to L.A. I was in L.A. for about a year, and then I had a group of friends that started a theater company in Dallas, Texas. I had nothing going on in L.A. at that time. Uh, I was broke buddy of mine called me to, to go do a play for him. And I came down there and I was like, you know what? I just feel like this is where I need to be right now. And literally like six months later, I wound up getting an audition for Friday night lights while I was living in Texas, living in Dallas, uh, had to borrow money from a friend of mine to get down to the audition in Austin. I mean, that's how broke I was. Uh, and then wound up crashing on a buddy of mine's, uh, recliner for two days while I had the auditions, because uh, I had a, an audition and then I had a call back. And so, yeah, that was kind of my, my journey. Um, wow. Yeah. But if you would have told me that I would have had to move to Texas to get a job, a like show. That, I, would, I would have thought you were nuts, you know? Yeah, totally. Stace, how about you? 
Uh, I had graduated college and I moved, I'm from Arlington, Texas, and I moved back to Dallas, Texas to get my equity card, my union actor's card for stage before I moved to New York. And this audition came up while I was still living in Dallas. So yeah, a lot, none of the um, leads, like the series regulars were from Texas, but so much of our guest star cast came from Dallas and Austin and around those areas that like authentic Texas realness. Yeah. It's something that Stacy and I have talked about a lot on the show is that, uh, it, yeah, this is, well, you, you're a cook, man. I was at this restaurant the other day. I cannot remember the name of it. And there was a watermelon salad. This is good. There's a point here. I promise. But we had a watermelon salad that was friggin' spectacular watermelon being the base. Right. I, I like watermelon. Everybody likes watermelon, but to say that it's spectacular, but you know, Mark, that they had all these other things on there, man. There was like a balsamic and like, ba 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 ba, 20 different things that I, not being a chef, wouldn't know what the hell I was doing. I wouldn't think to put these things in a dish. Right. But when all these things came together and you had one bite, you were like, oh my God, what is that? And that's kind of how I describe this, this Texas group of actors that were brought on to our show. We had, I mean, Liz Michael, who played uh, uh, Mama Smash and Buddy Garrity. And, uh, Brad Leland, who played Buddy Garrity, uh, Luann Stevens, who played uh, Grandma Saracen. I mean, all these wonderful Texas actors that really made the show what it was in my yeah. opinion. You know? Yeah, that's too cool. Well, the two of you played husband and wife the series, but your close friends off camera as well. Yes. Did your friendship strengthen your chemistry on screen or did your chemistry on screen serve as a foundation for your friendship? We were friends before the series ever started. We knew each other before Friday Night Lights just from being in Dallas. And we worked at the same, our theater companies were in the same building in right. Addison. And so like season one and season two, you could tell that we knew, like Billy and Mindy knew each other. But the thing about this show is the writers and the producers would like hang out with us and watch us interact. And they liked Derek and I's friendship. And they that's what made them write it into a marriage. And man, I'm going to tell you right now in terms of, and I, I wish Stacy wasn't here because I don't like to compliment her while she's sitting here, but she really was <laughs> like the easiest person I've ever had the opportunity of working with. And I, I mean, it can be really, really awful sometimes when you're doing physical scenes, you know, uh, with a, a love interest on a show. It can be really difficult because it's awkward. I mean, half the time you don't know each other. It's like, hi, I'm Derek. Nice to meet you. And the next thing you know, you're in your underwear together. And it's it's, uh, it's not the most comfortable thing on the planet. Uh, I don't care what anyone says. Uh, so it was it was really awesome. Like the first day that Stacy found out that we were going to be in a relationship, she was like, okay, come here. And I was like, what? And she goes, grab my boobs. And I go, what? She goes, grab my <laughs> boobs. And I go, what, what are you, what are you talking about? She goes, we're going to have to do it on the show at some point. Just do it. And she's like, grab my butt. And she's like, anytime in a scene, if you feel like you want to grab me or touch me or kiss me, you can. And it was such a load off. Yeah, as a don't guy. ask permission. Like just do it. It was such yeah. a huge weight off my shoulders as a guy. Cause you don't want to come across as a creep or a weirdo or, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but you also <laughs> think, you know, in the scene, I think Billy might grab her here. Billy might, you know, pull her in for a smooch and I don't you don't want to have to be inhibited and 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 have to ask every single time but uh, a lot of times you would have to ask you know and so Stacy just made it so comfortable for me so thank you Stacy I just wanted you to grab my butt I know you did <laughs> <laughs> so can your you guys are having other guest appearances from FNL um on the podcast that you're doing yeah. now 
Yeah, I don't think we can say yet. Can't yeah, say we're not who it to is. Talk yeah. about yeah, because we've got you know. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Here's what we're doing. We're learning about these podcast things, and so like the first episode, we tease that there's going to be a guest, and the second episode, we tell you who the guest is, and then the third episode, we've got the guest. But I can't. I, I'd love to tell you guys who we've had on because we've had some great guests so far. Uh, but- so you guys are already ahead. Of, you're, you're recording. You're a few episodes ahead or something. Yeah, the episode just dropped uh, today. Um, I'm not sure what day this is going to air for you guys, but the episode just dropped on September 28th for mm-hmm. us. Uh, and so we're technically, we finished six episodes, but we've done interviews for about... We've done a ton of interviews. Yeah. I, I want to say we've done about six interviews at this point in time. But we know ahead of time what episode we want that person for. So we make it yeah. specific. So I have had to do a little bit of watching ahead for some of the of the episodes. Yeah, we all have. Well, I have too. I mean, I haven't watched it in years, so I'm, I can't go off, you know, previous knowledge. See, I envy you guys since our show is based on weekly NFL games we yeah. have to watch everything we record on tuesdays but it actually doesn't get released till thursday so sometimes we have to do emergency fixes oh, you know because stuff can happen in 48 hours yeah you know, oh, that yeah. we were talking about which is oh yeah like it's super some, annoying some breaking news happens on a wednesday you're like gather troops There's yeah no and you may have spent like 20 minutes talking about something that has completely changed then you know on wednesday <laughs> so you either have to cut the segment or you know, record something new. That is a plus on ours because nothing's changing about Friday Night Lights at this point. <laughs> That's right. The show is the show. We are wrapped, baby. We are wrapped. Stacy, I know you're a Cowboys fan, which makes sense considering not only your Texas roots, but the fact that your dad, Mark Orsano, has been a broadcast announcer for both the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Oilers and was a contract employee of the original Cowboys working under then general manager Tech Schramm do you have any fun, notable stories you can share with us from the gridiron era? Fun, notable stories. Um, I used to work for my dad in high school. I would go to the games with him. And my job was to write down every play that happened as it happened. And then I would choose the plays that get put on the highlight reel for the after show. So I would call in the studio and tell them what plays to pull from audio for the after show. Right. And so I got like, I didn't realize how cool it was at the time, but I got a, the like ultimate VIP press pass and I got, I could go down on the field anytime I wanted to, I could walk around, I could go into the locker room, I could do whatever I wanted. And the players called my dad big O and they called me little O and I was walking through, <laughs> I would have to go from the field through the tunnel to get up to the press box. And Michael Irvin, one time I had like my, my clipboard and my pen and I, like dropped my pen and he picked it up and he goes, there you go, little low. And he gave me like a little pat on the back, but he's a giant. And I like fell into the wall. <laughs> and I was like, you can't do that to me. He's, they're giant people. That's just a playmaker making plays, baby. <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking back, it's like, I was so spoiled. I didn't realize how cool it was that I got to go do that kind of stuff. The funny thing is that sounds like an entry level like ESPN job. I mean, Drew, weren't you doing that at some point, Ken? Oh, oh, both of us. I mean, yeah, I, I was. I don't know how old you were. I, I was doing that when I was eighteen or so. Um, pretty much like 
I've told this story before, but like, you know, driving Mike Dick around and all these legends and being like, I guess this is cool, but uh, it's also terrifying at the same time because I like just don't want to screw up at that point. So your head's kind of just like narrowed in. And then later, like, you know, now, 20 years later, you're like, that was actually pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to do that now. I'll tell you, man, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm 45 years old and I bumped into Michael Irvin on an airplane. So I grew up in, in Miami. So I'm a diehard Hurricanes fan. And I don't want to talk about it, but uh, we're not very yeah. good this year. Tough year. But yeah, it's a tough year. It's a rebuilding year. It's We've been rebuilding for 20. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm on an airplane and Michael Irvin was on the plane. And like, I mean, dude, he's a Hurricanes fan. Like, Stacy, that's your story is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. My story is just that I flashed the U symbol at him and he flashed it back to me. And I was like, <laughs> mm. <laughs> now, I mean, I'm 45 years old. I've worked with some pretty big time actors in my life mm -hmm. and that doesn't do anything for me, but meeting like, you know, like meeting football players, meeting baseball players that I grew up with, those guys, it, that stuff still to this day is, you know. Yeah, it's funny how that works. For It's the same thing for me. It's always people outside of our industry. Yeah. And we did, this was this was years ago, but we had Tech Nine in, in one of our shitty little movies, you know. Oh, yes, Tech ago. Nine. And Tech was so cool. And we were filming in Missouri, but he came to like, you know, he did one little scene there and then he flew out in LA and did a scene. But when we were in Missouri, he drove out to Joplin with like his whole little entourage, you know. And we're, I'm in like my early 20s. This is one of my first gigs producing, you know. And he came inside and we like had the after party at like a fucking Red Lion or something. You know, and he came in and he made caribou lose for everybody. And in my mind, this was like the coolest thing that had ever happened to me. I love you it. know, but he was he was he was great. That's awesome. Hey, hey, Derek, what was it like going to high school with Alex Rodriguez? Uh, <laughs> dude, I'll be honest with you, man. Like we, we all knew he was a great athlete, but I don't think any of us knew that he was going to become Alex Rodriguez. You know what I mean? Like I was at his party, even, even the day that he got drafted, like we, we uh, he had like a, a little party at his house and all of us were there the day he got drafted and like, yeah, he got taken number one and there were scouts all over the place. But man, I don't think any of us knew that he was, I mean, the scouts knew uh, we didn't know the kids who went to high school with him. You know, he was just, he was just Alex to us, you know? Um, but yeah, I played football and I played baseball with him and yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing to me is that being a guy who grew up playing baseball, I thought I was pretty good. And then I got to high school and the two positions I played were shortstop and I played second base. And our starting shortstop was Alex Rodriguez. Starting second <laughs> baseman was a guy named Mickey Lopez who went on to play for the Brewers. And I'm like, I, I mean, I stopped playing after my sophomore year because I was like, dude, I'm, I'm never going to start. Our starting first baseman was Doug McCavich, who was, you know, uh, first oh, yeah. for the Red Sox in the World Series. Uh, yeah, so it was a pretty loaded high school. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, Mar I'm a Mariners fan. Was Alex like, where the hell is Seattle when he got drafted from Miami? <laughs> no, I don't think it was <laughs> like, that. Bad, go but... farther away from my home right like, now. I mean, Griffey was such a big deal at that point in time. Griffey Jr., you know, so all of us knew. But I, yeah, I mean, he couldn't have gone. I don't think, literally, he could have gone any further away from Miami at that point. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I've taken a direct flight from Seattle to Miami. It takes like two years. Oh, it's forever. <laughs> it's forever. I'm a Yankee fan, and I'll I'll refrain from comment on Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs> so if the opportunity arose 
for both of you for an FNL spinoff. Would you welcome a return to Dillon, Texas, or do you feel the series is better left untouched? There are two, there are two thoughts for this. I have a spinoff and I did pitch it to the, um, the creator of friends. And she said she was gung ho for it. It's a multicam and it's called the Riggins exclamation point. And it's Derek <laughs> and I, and we live in a tiny apartment and we have 10 children and Landry lives next door. And that's the show. But if we were going to do like an FNL reboot with everybody, I'm, I'm out. I don't want to do it. We told that story perfectly. I loved our ending. I don't want to tell any more of the story. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a difficult. I I love this question and I hate this question because it's it's like man, just to have the opportunity to work with all those kids, all those guys again, and and Kyle and Connie and Annie and Stacy and and Taylor, like just to have the opportunity to work with all the, them again would be spectacular. But I think it would be a disservice to the show. I think the show ended on such a great note. I think. Uh, because we knew that we were, we were done after the fifth season, it gave our writers an opportunity to write an arc from seasons three, four, and five. Uh, they knew where the show was going and it just ended so well. I think it'd be a disservice to, to try and replicate that, but man, it would be, it would be fun to have everybody back together again. It would be fun. The, the movies actually written, you know, when they were yeah. talking about doing a a movie. I, yeah. I'm 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 trying so hard to get a copy of that script, and I want Derek and I to do a reading of it. I'd love but... to read it, and I'm sure it's great. I mean, Jason Kadem's wrote it, you know. Yeah, so yeah you sure. guys should do a special episode of the podcast I and do a table of, read. I'm, 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 working, amazing. I'm working on it. We're gonna get just do like a big Zoom with the whole cast. I think it'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I it's love written. It. Derek, are you are you familiar with like the uh, Bishop Sycamore story that came out this year? Uh uh-uh. With this this a Phantom High School. The, so there was a game on ESPN like three weeks ago yeah. where this team basically made up a high school and they played on oh, ESPN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They played on ESPN against a real high school and they lost like 58 to zero. It's an incredible story. It's going to be a movie for sure. How am I not? He- how have I never heard how of this. How have yeah. I heard of this and you haven't? <laughs> I don't you know. You have to Google this. But the interesting thing about it is like all the guys on this Bishop Sycamore are like 25, 26 years old. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. what's messed up about it. They're, They're all like giant. these old dudes. Yeah. So anyways, if you ever have the spinoff, you could come back and actually play is what I'm saying. Cause you, <laughs> and you could actually get on the field. Play or that sounds like something <laughs> Billy Riggins would do. Like he would coach that team. There was an episode of Friday Night Lights where Billy Riggins comes back and he's like on, he's not on the team, but like coach calls Billy and Tim back to like strap the pads on and show these kids how to play. It was kind of absurd. But we put the pads back on and I was 33, 34 years old. And I was like, man, this is going to be so much fun. I can't friggin' wait. And I lined up, we did one hamburger drill and I nailed this kid. And all of a sudden my shoulder just started. <laughs> I just had shoulder surgery recently. Um, I don't think that this, these two are related, but I don't think it, it, it helped anything either. But it's like I had one play where I made contact and I was in friggin' deep suffering pain after that. And I was like, wow. I don't remember it hurting like this when I was 18 years old. So it does, it does give me a lot more. I mean, when I think about the fact that a guy like Tom Brady's still playing, he wakes up every day. He has to be feeling somewhat like I do. He's got to be feeling worse. I would think I'm 45 years old. I mean, we're basically the same age, except I haven't been getting hit by 300 pound linemen for the last, you know, 17 years. I don't you know, you also haven't been on a steady diet of infant blood. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Chick-fil-A. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Actually, though, according to some uh, theories, everyone in Hollywood's getting infant blood, too. Yeah, exactly. Well, Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a Friday Night Lights rewatch debuted on September 28th. When and where can our listeners listen to future episodes? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, basically anywhere you guys get podcasts, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Apple. iTunes, yeah. Apple, iHeart. Yeah. And is there a regular release schedule? Is it every Tuesday? Is it every... It is every Tuesday. Nice. And we're going to do some audience participation. So we're going to answer some questions. Shout out if you guys want to clear eyes, full hearts pod at gmail.com. Uh, I think those will come out on different days. So sometimes there'll be two in a week just for funsies. Great. And then, so you guys are doing the full five seasons. So you've got a couple hundred episodes or something to do. Hey, that's the objective. I think it's 75 episodes total is the first uh, five seasons. Then we're going to have audience particip- participation episodes involved in there as well. So I think total we're, we're aiming to do 90 episodes, but that's all dependent on whether or not, you know, we have listeners. I know. What if people hate us? <laughs> well, I have no doubt that you guys will get the listeners. Are there any other exciting new projects either of you have that you'd like to share with us? I got a lot of exciting stuff going on right now that I can't talk about. Is it? Yeah, I know how it goes. Uh, but I, I can talk about the fact that I've got uh, Call of Duty, uh, Vanguard, uh, which I'm, I'm one of the leads in, uh, which was so fun to be a part of. It was like being a little kid dressing up and playing Army. Uh, but Call of Duty Vanguard is coming out, I believe, November 5th. Um, and I think that might be, oh, I've got uh, Injustice, uh, which is a voiceover gig that I did, uh, DC uh, Injustice. Um, which is uh, based off the video game. I play uh, Nightwing and Aquaman and that, and that comes out, nice. I believe, October 19th. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for, for both of those things. Eric's very fancy. Uh, I'm working on a Netflix show called Jigsaw with Rufus Sewell and um, Giancarlo Esposito and some very cool people, but Ooh, that, will, that won't cast. come out till late next year. I love both of those guys. Very fun. Well, thanks so much for joining us on FBC this week. And we wish both of you the best of luck on Clear Eyes, Full Hearts and all your other future endeavors. Dude, thank thank you guys so much for having us. This was fun. We value brutal candor here at FBC, which is why we're openly admitting that based on our picks through week three, you're probably better off muting this portion of the podcast. We're 0 for 3 on parlays, and with respect to individual picks, only Drew is sitting above 500 at 2 and 1. I'm regrettably 1 and 2, and Ken is a dismal 0 and 3. Long season. But the only way to stop losing is to start winning, which means Drew gets one veto this week, replacing it with another pick of his choice at his discretion. Wait a second. Ken. What? Why did you're, we do this? Ken, what did you're, this happen? You're such a mess. Huh. You need a bib. Hey. I, How are you going to clean yourself up, bro? Hey, only from the turkey at barbecue places. But when did we make this rule change? Oh, I made it up. Uh, did you just make this now? No, I made it up when I sent you the production notes. I, I don't read anything. Yeah, I, I, I haven't been good the last couple of weeks. <laughs> no secret amongst our 12 listeners who hopefully don't take our gambling advice anyway. Um, but I'm gonna, but but I love the word blurb is a great word. You know what's also a great word is mumps. It's a great word to say mumps, right? At the mumps.
If I was, if I had a debilitating sickness that required vaccination, I'd want, I'd months. Yeah. Get to say it more often. Hey, so, but I'm going to make up for it this week because last week I picked with the new England Patriots. And this week I am picking against the new England Patriots. The bucks will win by two touchdowns. Bucks minus seven in New England. Book it. I totally agree with you. I like this pick this week. I've already explained myself during the Tom Brady promo. Drew, where you go? Hey, why don't you go first so I can veto, so I can choose who I want. That to is veto. a good point. I am going with the over 42 uh, with Detroit at Chicago. And the reason I am doing that is I think Detroit seems to score no matter what. Uh, I think both of these teams have pretty bad defenses. Uh, I'm sort of surprised that this is the lowest over under this week. I assume it is because Chicago had such a bad week last week that they think nothing's going to happen. Don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, with either of these teams, I think Detroit will put up at least 30. And Chicago, even if they play like shit, will carry the over. I'll go with my pick first. It pains me because um, the Seahawks-Vikings game last week was very, very hard to watch. That being said, 49ers-Seahawks always played a close game. If either one of these teams was favored by three points, I would take that team. If it was San Francisco plus three, I would take the 49ers. But it is Seattle plus three. I'm not saying the Seahawks are going to win. They always play tight games. I'm going uh, Seattle plus three. It's going to be a tight game. I think uh, hopefully Pete Carroll and the secondary have a little kumbaya, figure things out this week. Regardless, it's going to be close. And just because I can – I'm going to veto Ken's pick. Why? I'm taking I'm taking the Ravens plus 1 over the Broncos because like I said earlier fraudulent. The 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 Ravens already beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. You can't tell me they can't go into Denver and beat Teddy Two Gloves. So I got the Ravens plus 1 and the Seahawks plus 3 two underdogs. Coming out on top. Sorry, Kenneth. If I am correct on my pick, does that go towards my record? Even of course if it does. Of course it does. For sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. And well, you get bragging rights next week. Yeah. For our complete weekly picks, check out at Full Blown CVG on your favorite social media platform. All right. That's all we've got for today's episode. But tune in next week for more. Full-blown coverage. Uh, Full-blown. 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 Full-blown.